0: From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Guraug Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Takuro Kobashi joins us to talk about the last 4000 years of reconstructed temperature in Greenland. So stay tuned for all of this here on the Grok Science Show. Okay, so uh, welcome back to the program. We have a uh, very special guest today, Dr. Takuro Kobashi, a colleague of mine who I've worked with over the years. He's originally from Japan, uh, got his Ph.D. at uh, Scripps Institute, and came back to Japan as a researcher as well as being a Marie Curie Fellow in Switzerland. Uh, His work has been related to climate change, uh, specifically measuring the temperature of the past Earth. And from those findings, we will discuss current climate change and what it means for all of us. Dr. Kovashi, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Hi, Frank. Uh, Thank you very much for introducing me. Actually, where I graduated is uh, Scripps Institution of Oceanography,
0: Oh, at the okay. University of
1: California San Diego okay. and so it's not a Scripps Institute, another different ah, institute I see, yeah. I see <laughs> it can be yeah, confusing it, sometimes <laughs> yeah it's very similar name so okay. but anyway I graduated uh, Scripps Institution of Oceanography in 2007 and uh, after that, I traveled uh, for five months around the world and I came back to Japan and I started working at the Global Environmental Institute for Global Environmental Strategy and I met Frank there. And uh, But anyhow, at Scripps, I started work on ice cores and reconstructing temperatures and I've been working on that things for quite a long time, maybe... A scripts more than five years and in japan i worked at the national institute for polar research for four years and the university of Bern for two years so more than 10 years i worked on reconstructing temperature from ice cores uh, especially from greenland i did also some analysis from uh, antarctica uh, dom fuji
0: okay and the yeah, reason yeah. you're using greenland is that is that in Antarctica, so those are the two regions that have ice sheets in the world. Is that right?
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Only Greenland and Antarctica currently have a, a huge ice sheet, so and we can obtain uh, like three kilometer or uh, how long is it in mile? Three kilometer? Do you know? I would think? say
0: about two miles. Okay,
1: so about two miles long ice cores uh, can be obtained from. Uh, Uh, Greenland and also uh, from Antarctica, and mainly I've been uh, working on uh, Greenland ice core.
0: And these ice cores you mentioned, or these ice sheets, they they trap the air that was in the Earth's atmosphere hundreds or even uh, millions of years ago, is that right?
1: That's right, yeah. Uh, On the ice sheet there is a snow layer, and these snow layers gradually uh, become ice because of the weight of snow. And uh, during this process, uh, it uh, traps atmosphere. So the, by measuring ice core, you can get a past atmosphere. Uh, in Greenland, I think it can go back to 100,000 years. And uh, in Antarctica, the oldest ice core is 800,000 years by European group. And uh, now many researchers from the U- U.S., Europe, and Japan, and also China, they are trying to get a... Uh, ice core uh, longer than one million years.
0: So does that mean we just dig deeper or is there some uh, complex science we need to understand here?
1: Uh, generally, ice core is just layered so that uh, we can think the shallow ice has a uh, recent air. But if you go further deep into ice sheet, sometimes ice sheet can be folded and uh, this holding uh, you know, the, can mix up some old or young, these things. So sometimes if you go really deep, it can become difficult to decipher which age uh, the ice is coming from. But generally you can think that uh, deeper ice has uh, older ice and also older atmosphere.
0: And is there an uh, average age, let's say for every one meter you go down, does that correspond to 100 or 1,000 years?
1: Yeah, you know, it completely depends on how much snow is, in you know that place you know in Greenland and, uh, I used Greenland's ice sheet summit ice core in that place you can you get uh, around uh, 20 centimeter equivalent of ice every year so you know if it's snow it can be probably you not know, deeper than uh, one meter but if you uh, push it and make it ice it's uh, About, you know, equivalent to about 20 centimeters. How much is it in inch? 20
0: centimeters? I think about 8
1: inches. Okay, yeah, something like that. And uh, if you go to Antarctica, you know, it's central Antarctica, it's so huge, so the uh, vapor cannot uh, reach to this uh, interior of uh, ice sheet so the snowfall is very low and uh, i think uh, dom fuji station it's located almost central part of antarctica has about only three centimeters you know it's compared to summit of greenland it's 20 centimeters it's much smaller on oh, no, a one-tenth of greenland snowfall uh, you can get from central part of antarctica so uh basically if you get the same uh, length of uh, Ice from Antarctica you can get much older ice but you know if you get uh, uh, one meter of ice from Greenland it's only maybe you no know, five years but in the uh, Antarctica uh, one meter uh, maybe 30 years or so something like that so the both Greenland and uh, Antarctica you can get about you know three kilometers and two miles, but uh, you can get much, much older air from Antarctica because snowfall is so low in Antarctica.
0: And how do you know the age that the depth corresponds to you do a carbon dating when you take out the core samples?
1: Yeah, uh, one way is uh, modeling. So basically, you know, you assume, or you can get some knowledge how much snowfall was in the past in that area, and there's uh, uh, models Ice sheet model, so that uh, basically people can model. If you get this much of ice every year, after you know, 10,000 years, that ice should be here or something. So the uh, you, once you get the ice core, uh, maybe the some models uh, try to identify maybe that area correspond to some years because the snowfall is about this much. But it's a very rough estimate. So the people use also use some other way to dating. Some other way is... Uh, You know, the climate change for the long time scale, uh, so 800,000 years or, uh, you know, one million years, these climate changes are heavily influenced by the Earth's orbital changes. You know, the Earth's orbit toward sun is changing, and uh, these changes of orbit basically create climate change. And we precisely know how these uh, orbit has changed over the millions of years so you know, by looking at uh, you know the uh, changes in climate uh, you can uh, match with these calculated orbital uh, changes uh, you know sometimes you get much more sunlight in antarctica or greenland sometimes you get less sunlight in summertime. so uh, from these things uh, you match it and basically uh, you can get uh, some understanding of the uh, ages of ice core.
0: So these changes in the orbit is that like one of them is the precession, which is a 19,000 year cycle. Is that
1: right? Uh, yeah, I think something uh, like precession, obliquity, and uh, yeah, generally it's called Milankovitch cycle, and uh, uh, you can have a uh, periodical changes by the axis axis change. And
0: uh, you know, with your research. What was the most interesting uh, discovery you made about the earth's past?
1: What I've been doing is a reconstruction of the past temperature, and uh, the method is uh, based upon phenomenon which is, depends on the diffusion of gases in the snow layer you know the on the top of ice sheet under the thick snow layer in greenland or uh, uh, antarctica and in greenland uh, greenland summit uh, there is about uh, 70 meter of snow layer so the before snow become ice there is about 70 meter uh, of snow and uh, in the snow layer air can move around by diffusion and these diffusions are controlled by uh, two forces. Uh, one force is of course in the gravitation and the other force is temperature gradient. And uh, these, you know, gravitational, we call it gravitational fractionation. It depends on how deep that uh, snow layer is. So that uh, if it has a 70 meter, we can uh, precisely we can calculate how much you know, gas is basically uh, fractionated. So basically, heavier gases goes deeper, and lighter gases goes above. And uh, another one is. Uh, Thermal fractionation so the caused by the temperature gradient between the top and the bottom of the snow layer, and usually colder, heavier gases tend to go to colder end. So, the if there is a abrupt warming at the surface, there will be a temperature gradient warmer at the surface, and the deeper part will be colder, right? And uh, in these times, uh, heavier gases tend to go to deeper, and lighter gases go to shallow part, and these two processes basically at the you know the bottom of the snow layer it's trapped so uh, by cu- uh, making a measurement of nitrogen and argon isotopes in the uh, this snow layer uh, whether uh, in the bubble of ice cores you can reconstruct how deep was uh, the that snow layer and also uh, how much temperature gradient was in the past at the time the bubble was closed. And the reason why we use nitrogen and argon isotopes is, you know, these two isotopes ratio in the atmosphere has been constant for a very long time, at least for a period we are concerned. So any deviation in the ice core for nitrogen and argon isotopes can be attributed to the process. In this snow layer, and uh, eventually we can basically find out how much deep uh, snow was, and also how much temperature gradient was in the past. And by combining with the uh, uh, heat diffusion and the snow densification model, we can calculate surface temperature change, and we can reconstruct surface temperature over the uh, thousand of years. And uh, first, I uh, calculated the last thousand years, and I published for the past. 4,000 years, and uh, recently uh, we completed calculation over the Holocene. Holocene is a period for the past 11,500 years, uh, which is started after the uh, last glaciation. So now I calculated uh, the temperature. Over the no, this entire Holocene period.
0: Okay, so Holocene includes most of recorded human history, then.
1: That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Holocene is very special period for human society because after <clears throat> it become warmer, more, uh, many parts of the uh, globe and become more stable, so uh, people can stay at one place. And warmer and humid makes possible for the uh, you know people to make uh, uh, agriculture, and uh, basically agriculture started around the beginning of Holocene in many parts of the globe, or a few parts of the globe. and. Uh, uh, since that point, uh, human society, or population started growing, and the culture basically developed over this period. And uh, now we are facing, you know, we grow so much and become so complex and having so much problem. But the beginning was actually, we can say, it was the beginning of Holocene.
0: Well, some people now call the current era the Anthropocene because it's one dominated by human activity.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And now people are basically discussing when is actually you know Anthropocene started, and many you know, geologists or you know the paleoclimatologists are trying to find uh, when was really a good time to say you know human influence become really significant for the. Nature and some people, I think, say they in uh, 1950 or I think the beginning of industrialization, when well, you know, it can be a uh, thousand of years ago, because you know, agriculture already has a significant impact. So, you Was know, an uh, urbanization also started thousands of years ago? So, the, yeah, we can define anthropocene to be started at you know, quite uh, any time during the whole thing, I think.
0: You know, a lot of scientists now realize that when we're looking. Let's say the climate change problem, and we're trying to understand the science behind it. It's also very important to look at the societal impacts, and that's the topic that you, along with you know many people who are working in policy, are very interested in. You know, what kind of inferences can you make from the temperature reconstruction that you've done uh, for the last four thousand years in terms of how it relates to human development?
1: Basically, I've been developing, you no know, first things I need to say is, you know, I've, I've been working on greenland temperature. So, greenland is not somewhere people are living, right? So, first thing I need to say is, what I need to talk is uh, if the greenland temperature is related to the other part of the world. And actually, uh, when, yeah, last year we published a paper, we had a very precise greenland temperature reconstruction over the past 2,000 years. And also, there are temperature reconstruction by the... Now, many people, Mann, uh, Michael Mann, was a Moberg, Moberg, or the uh, Moberg, many other people, did a reconstruction over the past 2,000 years for Northern Hemispheric average temperature. And we compared uh, Greenland temperature with uh, you know this Northern Hemispheric temperature, and we found you know it's very uh, interestingly uh, Greenland temperature quite uh, nicely uh, agree with Northern Hemispheric average temperature change. But there are time Greenland temperature deviate from Hemispheric trend and uh, yeah, if you look at uh, last year's our paper, we found this deviation seem to be induced by solar activity. So a little bit Greenland temperature different from uh, northern hemispheric average temperature, but we can say a uh, general changes in Greenland temperature are related to the hemispheric average temperature. So the, probably we can somehow relate to the. You now, human societal changes, and uh, uh, just now we reconstructed Greenland temperature over the whole thing. And uh, there are some periods there is a you know, very large abrupt temperature change occurred. Now, one very uh, big one is uh, 8,200 years ago, a so-called 8.2 ka event. And uh, we actually published already a paper about the uh, 8.2K event in 2007. And uh, uh, yeah, there are many studies uh, other than ourselves talking about the impact of uh, uh, or not so many, but, you know, some there are some papers uh, talking about the impact of this, you know, very abrupt avat- cooling and drying event for, and the impact on the human societal deve- development.
0: So 8,000 years ago.
1: Yeah, 8,200 years ago, there was a big change, and uh, yeah, it seems uh, in the Middle East uh, or Mesopotamia or something, these places uh, had a uh, probably related to drying or, or cooling, and there some some uh, societal impact, uh, some archaeologists found.
0: So of course, you know, everybody is now paying attention to how their climate is affecting them. And if you look at the media, especially in the US, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of it's political in the sense of whether they agree on climate change is happening or not and whether humans are responsible. Uh, As you mentioned, there's also the Milankovitch cycle and other planetary effects that could be occurring. How do you know that the current changes we're seeing are not part of these cycles and that they are clearly human induced.
1: So the Milankovitch cycle have uh, three uh, components: obliquity, precession, and uh, eccentricity. Yeah, these three uh, will affect us as climate.
0: Okay, and are we right now at a phase in which the temperature should be going up or down if there was no human induced climate change?
1: Actually, us orbital forcing. Usually orbital forcing on the higher latitude around 65 degree north is considered to be an important place because the glacier, edge of the glacier is affected by the sunlight around this latitude. And current sunlight uh, with the insulation at this latitude is very low. And uh, yeah, uh, people think uh, now is a good time to get uh, glaciation if we don't have our greenhouse gases. It's currently uh, one of the uh, minimum of these cycles. You know, if you look at only uh, some local temperature change, it can be really Regionally different, so it's very difficult to say some, uh, you know, forcing change, something like a greenhouse gas forcing. But if you look at a global temperature or a hemispheric average temperature, many of the regional changes are cancelled, and uh, you can clearly see that some forcing changes are much better than the local temperature change. And you know, we we've, we've been working on Greenland temperature, and uh, yeah, Greenland temperatures generally follows a hemispheric change, but somehow deviate. So the not only Greenland, but also other parts of the world. Uh, also, you know, the, if you look at regionally or locally, uh, it can be a little bit different. But uh, you know, if you look at the hemispheric temperature, you know, it's quite uh, strikingly uh, rising rapidly. And uh, of course, there are many discussions about how much of this rising is uh, greenhouse gas post or uh, you know, natural variability post. But uh, I think uh, even from the, our greener temperature, there is a clear temperature rises it's uh, associated with uh, greenhouse gas increase and that's uh, most clearly shown on the hemispheric average temperature it's already occurring is the most likely case and if not uh, that's interesting but i think it's quite highly likely you know as the ipcc report uh, the current rise of temperatures are induced by the greenhouse gas increase
0: you mentioned Michael Mann's work in you know, modeling the past temperature, and he's also famous for the whole so-called hockey stick
1: That's uh, right. model. That's
0: yeah, yeah. right. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think according to the consensus, the CO2 levels right now are the highest they have been in half a million years. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, you know that we have a, a green ice core records have 800,000 years and uh, so we are quite surely know current greenhouse uh, than CO2 and you know, methane this greenhouse gas concentration is higher than at any time during uh, the past 800,000 years. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, most likely much much longer. But uh, at least uh, it's higher than 800,000 years.
0: Based on this knowledge, we expect that the temperature of the the average temperature to keep rising beyond the two degrees, then?
1: It uh, uh, the most likely keep rising, and uh, I think it's above uh, two degrees C. It's, uh, I think uh, from what we know, it's likely, uh, yeah, it's going to much, much higher, even more than two degrees C. You
0: know, the implications are very dire, and we know we, you've also worked on the policy side of climate change. Um, you know, what, what got you interested into this field in the first place?
1: When I was a uh, junior high school, student. it was actually late 80s. You know, that was the time I think people are talking about these environmental issues. Uh, something and also there was a some famous report on uh, by the UN about the common or something I, I forgot. But uh, also in Japan there was a lot of discussion and news articles and I really interested in uh, you know, global warming and these things. And uh, since then uh, I wanted something on it and uh, I chose to be. Uh, no, I started first. I thought I need to know it and uh, so I kept studying it and doing research, but also at some point I was thinking I want to contribute uh, to you know, change the world somehow to be more sustainable and that's why I worked at the uh, IGIS and uh, yeah I'm thinking uh, maybe I'm gonna uh, do more uh, societal work uh, later on.
0: You know the IPCC tries to make a measured assessment so that policymakers can make uh, best decisions possible do, do you think the models that are being discussed are too optimistic or too pessimistic do, do you think we need to take drastic action to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions
1: yeah it's uh, actually difficult uh, question and uh, uh no the one thing is we know is uh the key temperature will keep rising but then some difficulty to uh assign how much it's going to rise and uh But, you know, because, you know, it's an issue of uncertainty. You know, if you're a scientist, always you have to think about what is the uh, optimum solution, but also the uncertainty range and 95% or something like that. So, you know, if you you have to say something precise numbers, it's very difficult. But, you know, clearly what we know is uh, the future will be quite warm and uh, there will be big changes and usually these big changes will be some cost and uh, maybe disasters, these things. No, we cannot keep uh, emitting carbon dioxide, that's for sure, right? And uh, with uncertainty, but we know it's going to be really different, so the anyway it's very very clear we have to do or well, we have to stop uh this emitting carbon dioxide as early as possible also of course we have to consider something else also but uh, if everything else is uh, considered uh, we have to act now and eventually you know we have to make it to be zero emission and sustainable for society that has to be made and uh, no, not only carbon dioxide. I mean, we have so many other things to make it to be sustainable. But you know, very urgent issue is uh, carbon dioxide. So that now uh, we need to really uh, make change and uh, find a way to you know reduce carbon dioxide, and uh, you know, one by one and solve the issues. And uh, of course, we have to think about something else also. And you know, for the perfect sustainable society, it's not only carbon dioxide. I think there we be many, many issues probably we have to face. We have to identify these issues and solve it. And the carbon dioxide is now uh, very urgent issues we need to solve now.
0: What are you most optimistic about these days? I mean, we keep hearing a lot of bad news about record temperatures, record disasters. Do you think politicians and policy make, uh, makers are? finally getting on board and
1: actually yeah uh, you know that I don't know if it's fast enough but uh, apparently you know if we consider 10 years ago when Plank and I are working at IGS, <laughs> I think uh, things are quite cha- different now I think you know the, now the Uh, Businessmen and these guys also uh, talking about sustainability and these things was uh, different in earlier period. So I think, uh, yeah, major uh, changes uh, start happening, and I think that's a good things. But uh, I'm not sure if it's enough. So I think it's better to be push it forward and make a much better business model to reduce greenhouse gas and do a good business and that kind of uh, much more stronger activity to find a much better business model that has to be sure. happening. Yeah,
0: business and innovation. Well, I guess we, we touched upon a lot of uh, broad topics in the climate issue today. I guess we're running a little bit out of time here. Are, are there any last words you'd like to add about your work or do you have encouraging you know, words for students who want to get into this field?
1: These issues not only uh, for scientists was for the people who are doing doing mental work nowadays so that now everybody has to think and uh, what to do and uh, so environmental work or the environmental research is only limited for a small number of people but uh, any places you work you can think of how you can live happier but uh, also it's uh, more consistent with you know, the uh, natural system. Sure, uh,
0: sure.
1: You know, the, uh, Yeah, it's, you can always think about how you can make yourself happier by maybe, you not know, friendly to a natural system or, you know, some changes of feeling happy need to happen, and uh, that probably you can start making by yourself. Uh, maybe not working for environmental issues, but, uh, you know, everybody can do that. And uh, then these things start change the world. Probably the solution is already there uh solution need to get the momentum and eventually it become a general norm in our society. So that, that kind of things need to happen and uh, each one of us uh, think about it and uh, do and make a choice for the right path in the future.
0: Certainly wise words. Uh, Dr. Kobashi, thank you so much for joining us here on Grox today.
1: Thank you very much, Frank.
0: And we were just talking to Dr. Takuro Kobashi on the last 4,000 years of Greenland's temperature. What this means for climate change and human society. And that's all for this week's edition of Grok Science. Make sure you tune in again next week for more fundamental science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.grox.net on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For grok science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music.